Well, it is great to be with you and to share uh, my first time here. I told them I normally speak for about four hours, but I, um, I'm excited to be here and just to share with you on, on this context. It's so good to have our Lake Mary, our Hernan and Waterford campus join us as well as those brothers and males who are at 33rd Jail. We're so excited to share this with you. Um, if you have your Bibles, let's look at Galatians 3, 1 through 14 is what you have um, been looking through. And Paul is writing an interesting um, letter with a different type of tone. It's almost similar to how he wrote to the church of Philippi, but uniquely a little different. Almost the same content that he's telling to another church, but just telling it in a way that they can understand. In Galatians 3, he says, uh, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you have heard? Are you so foolish after beginning by means of the spirit? Are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain if it really was in vain? So again, I ask, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? So Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who, are, who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in the advance of Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are all blessed with Abraham, the man of faith. For who rely on the works of the law are under curse. As it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says, the person who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that by faith we may receive the promise of the Spirit. So I, I really want to just kind of present this in a way that is a bridge to our modern contemporary culture. I want to just talk from a subject title, The Answer is Inside the Question. Paul is using a rhetorical method to get them to a particular point that he's always wanted to get them to. But it was interesting that the Church of Galatia, they were Gentiles. They were not uh, part of the covenant, but they, for some odd reason, were regressing back to the law. And it's interesting how when you and I get saved and we don't know what to do, we often go back to things that we were not familiar with before our salvation. Uniquely enough, th this, this story is, is in the bedrock of our hearts because he's asking them a very provocative question. Who bewitched you? Who put a spell on you to stop trusting in Jesus and start trusting in your own ability? Your own ability is not good enough to do what God has asked us to do. They were in essence saying the gospel that embraced the death of Christ was unnecessary. And he said, this is crazy. I don't know what happened to get your eyes diverted from the cross 
to the law. You know, we oftentimes do this as individuals. We often try to do the work of God in our own strength, and then we realize that every time we try to do it in our own authority, we end up failing. And we try to measure up to God's goodness by doing these things. If I just do these things, God will then appreciate me. And there's not enough good things that we could do to find the grace of God. Grace is not measured by, did you check this box? Did you check that box? And this is what Paul was trying to emphasize. Now, you got to understand, this, this is a congregation that's pretty relatively small. It's, it's about 12 men that are needed to have a, a, a congregation. And they're, they're trying to wrestle through some of these things that they've been dealing with. And all of a sudden, Paul is stepping up to them to tell them, that you're, you're a Gentile church. You didn't even possess the Mosaic law, so how did you end up going to this extreme? I like to oftentimes say that their focus was preoccupied, not on the main thing. And on a practical level, it's very true that when, when Satan can't make you bad, he makes you busy. You can become so busy trying to do the law that you fall out of the relationship of doing what you do. You could be so busy trying to prove to God that you've got it down packed that you really haven't entered into relationship. This is what Paul was arguing with them about. Listen, I need to ask you a few questions to kind of see where did we drift off? And he talks about Abraham and he says, when God wants to inspire us, he gives us a promise. He told Abraham, listen, I, I want you to, to, you are the seed of Abraham. And because Abraham believed, it's accredited unto us as righteousness. But oftentimes we read that and we really don't realize what Abraham walked away from. When we talk about faith or we sing about faith, when you think about Abraham, he was told by God, so glad you got married, just bought a beautiful home, kids are living, doing a great thing. I want you to leave. Tell all your friends, all your family, you're leaving this place, and you're going to go to a place I'm going to show you. Where is that, God? I don't know, but I'm going to show you. I, I want you to trust me that if you take a step, I'll take a step with you. And a lot of us, we trust God with our hearts. We trust God with our eternity, but we don't trust him with his word. And we wrestle like the Philippians trying to figure out how we can gravitate to pleasing God under a law-type system. Abraham was accredited to righteousness because he believed God. Abraham's faith to believe God, that God could perform what he promised was accredited to him as righteousness. That God, even though I don't see the land, even though I don't know how the land is gonna come about, even if I don't know how the scholarship's gonna come about. But if you told me to go to school, I'm gonna trust that somewhere where there's vision, you're going to make provision. I I'm going to believe that God, even if I don't know exactly what tomorrow brings, I'm gonna trust you with today. Even if I don't know what next month is going to bring me, I'm going to trust you with this month. Abraham had the ability to walk away from what is familiar to trust God in the unknown. And I can tell you, that's one of the hardest things Christians struggle with. It is so easy 
to do what we normally do and ask, and when God comes in and interrupts our normal pattern of behavior, it brings conflict and tension because within the Philippian culture is a culture like us. We really want to be gods to ourselves. We want to control our day. We want to control how our lives end up. And anything that we can do to fix it, we're going to fix it. And God is telling them, you didn't achieve salvation by what you did. You achieved it by your faith and your receptivity. So here it is. God anticipated the Gentiles, hence why we have the good news. The law commanded perfection and anything that was attached to it as well. So the law kind of reminds me of the New Testament where Jesus is walking to a fig tree and he's hungry. And he says, man, I'm hungry. And there's this tree there that has some leaves on it. And he says, I'm gonna go eat from that tree. And then he gets to the tree, looks at the fig tree and doesn't see that it has fruit and he curses it. And, and the disciples are thinking, man, what type of guy is this? He would curse a tree that didn't produce. Well, what was the real issue was the leaves were a symbol that there was fruit under them. And when Jesus got to the tree because the tree was advertising that, hey, I have leaves and if you see leaves, you automatically should know that there's fruit underneath me. And when he got to the tree upon inspection, he realized the tree was advertising what it could never keep. And that's what the law does. It tries to make us seem like we can keep this in our, if I do this, I can be good. If I do this, I can do it right. If I do this, I can order my steps properly, but we can't. And when God starts to inspect our lives without the lens of Jesus Christ, it starts to show us all of our frailties and all of our deficiencies. It's like the mirror that you have at the hotel. You think your skin looks great. And then you go up to the mirror and you're like, what in the world? I need a dermabrasion or something to happen, right? Because we thought we looked good. See, scriptures like this, we read it as a window. But the longer you read it, it becomes a mirror. It doesn't stay a window where we peek in and look at the lives of others. It becomes a mirror that helps us reflect our own lives and our own shortcomings. And here it is. Only perfect performance could gain divine approval under the law. He was telling the church of Galatia, if you're not perfect, you're already disqualified. So it's like the, the person that knocks on your door and says, are you a good person? Well, yeah, I think I am. Absolutely, I'm a good person. All right, well, let's go through the Ten Commandments and see how good you are. Do you have any false gods before God? Well, I guess. Have you ever taken the name of the Lord God in vain? Have you honored your mother and father? Have you ever stolen? When I was younger, well, you're a thief. Have you ever lied? I mean, yeah, I mean, technically, yeah. Well, you're a liar. The law just shows us how short we are. Christ is the bridge that helps connect our inability with his ability. See, I like, like what Abraham did. I really like what he did because this is something that is really interesting. Abraham's greatest gift was not his ability, but it was his availability. Let me say it one more time. In my church, they would say amen. All right. <laughs> so here it is. 
Abraham's greatest gift was not his ability, it was his availability. Amen. Man, I turned this into TKC, all right, right. Just, just that quick. So here it is. A lot of us are trying to give God our ability and not our availability. And our ability is no good without God's ability with us. So here it is. So as, as we're closing, and I got another two hours left, so here it is. <laughs> um, so there's this term that we call in theology, it's called substitutionary redemption. It's where divinity became flesh and took on the likeness of humanity. We would call it also a hypostatic union. Let me just kind of make it make sense. So they all sat in the boardroom of heaven and they said, who gonna leave this place and go redeem them? God had said, well, one of us has to go. And, but if we go, we have to be like them and still not remove our deity. The angels looked and said, well, I'm not going down there for John Parker. I know what he's going to do. I'm not going down there for David Jack. I'm not, there's no way in the world I'm going down there. And Jesus says, I, I, I will do this hypostatic union. I will take on the nature of a man, still keep my divinity, go down through the tube of a woman, come into the earth, live like them so that they can see that they could be like me. So if you're depending upon your own strength, your resume is not that good. Our resume is not that good. I don't know how many people have, you healed just by spitting on their eyes. Okay, I mean, I don't know how many people have, have you healed just, just by them touching the hem of your garment. So when we understand what Christ is to us, so there's a term, it's, it's really interesting. This is what Galatia struggled with. This is what the Church of Philippi struggled with. This is what the Church of America struggled with. It's what one author says, they call it vampire Christianity. We want Jesus' blood, but we don't want anything else. That's a dangerous place to be, is that you only want his blood to save your soul, but then after that, it's like Monday through Friday, I don't need you. I've got this all figured out because I'm gonna do it in my own strength and in my own ability. And here it is. He asked some questions, and these are some unique questions, because a gospel that touches the head does not transform the heart. So you can know Jesus in your head and never experience him in your heart. And he was telling the church that, listen, I, I don't need you to try to prove to me about a God that saved you you need to understand that this heart transformation is a necessity to being like God. You cannot do it in your own strength. And he asks these questions I think are so interesting. He says, did you receive the spirit by observing the law or believing what you heard? No, you got it by faith. He picked us on his team by faith. Okay, if, if you ever played basketball in school and 
we're picking a team and we're like, I want him because he looks like a basketball player. I want her because she looks like she's a basketball player. And you see that one person that doesn't look like they belong on the court at all. But in his graciousness, he still put us on his team. Not because we were qualified, not because we were skilled, but because he picked us. You're, you're not going in your own name. You're going in his name. And so here it is. He says, question number two. Are you now trying to attain the goal by human effort? And I know that sounds very easy to say, oh, absolutely not. But how many times have we said to ourselves, I, I know enough people to get me in. I got enough connections or resources to kind of make this thing work. And he's like, no, you cannot rely on your own strength or you will start to realize how heavy the weight is because you're trying to do it on your own. That's the third question. Have you suffered so much for nothing? And, and suffering in, in that context, they don't believe it was as it relates to persecution, but they were just talking about experience. I, you have been through so much in the book of Acts, Church of Galatia, to know that God is for you. How in the world did you get bamboozled to believe that you did not need the cross anymore? We all fall into that. We, we, we all do. Oh, I know how to raise my kids. I've got grandkids. I've got, I don't have grandkids, but you know, I got, I got kids. I, I know. Where, but the question is like, how often have we tried to fix it as opposed to saying, God, I'm going to ask you to help me because if I fix it, I'm going to have to sustain it because whatever I do in my own ability has to be maintained in my own ability. All right. So here it is. Question number four. Does God give his spirit to you because you observe the law or because you believe what you heard? The Holy Spirit enters the believer's life because of grace, not the law. It's, it's nothing that we have done. It is not by works, but it is by faith. Okay, so if you leave here, and you said, what did I learn? There's a lot that we learned. The goal is that the early church understood the gospel in a foggy glass. And we understand it in a foggy glass. But we must remember that it is nothing of our own merit that allows us to experience the goodness of God. And it is by, like Abraham said, it is by faith. So I'm going to do a very simple exercise to summarize in a practical way what this means to trust in Jesus. I went to school. I went to uh, some really good ones, really good schools. But then there were some classes that is like, I need a picture to help me get this, like geometry. Like, who needs that? I mean, it's very difficult, very hard to understand those concepts. I hope the kids don't have to endure that these days. But you, you need something to help you make it practical. And, and kids oftentimes help us learn in a way that we can understand. So I'm going to close it with this very simple illustration. I want you to do me a favor. And I want you to inconvenience yourself for a second. And I want you to stand. 
Thank you for obliging me. And then I want you to sit back down. You just exhibited faith. Oh my goodness, Pastor John, where did you find this guy? He's crazy. What happened was, you've been in this room before. You've sat in these chairs before. And based on your experience, you know this chair held you up last week. It held me up the week before. So today is no different. I didn't see anybody in this room check the chair to make sure that the chair was sufficient to hold weight that we carry. And so it is with God. Why are we checking his resume when he's held you up week after week, day after day? Even if some of us put on a few pounds this week, the chair still was able to bear our weight. And there are a lot of us in this room. We have more confidence in the chair than we do in the substitutionary atonement of Jesus. And what Paul was telling the church of Philippi, of Galatia, was if you're going to trust him, you've got to remind yourself of how Abraham did it. Because if you try to do it in your own strength, if you try to do it under the law, you're going to fail every time. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, we are so intertwined into life and culture and society, and we oftentimes can forget how gracious you've been to us we can oftentimes end up in the same situation as the Church of Galatia where we, we forget that you are sovereign, that you know all, and that you are in control of all. And many times in our lives we have reduced you to something smaller than what you really are. And so even as we read this particular text and we as a church grow in grace, we understand that the law was a mirror. It was to show us how short we are. And whatever campus we're at, Waterford, Erndon, or Lake Mary, or whether we're even in 33rd, the grace of God is available to us wherever we are. There's no limit, there's no restrictions. But God help us not to trust in our own strength and to become little G's to ourselves with the illusion that we are following you, but in all things we're trying to control our lives in our own ability. Help us to know that you are perfect. And although we strive for perfection, we will never measure up to who you are. But we thank you that even when we did not measure up, you sent your son to die for us, to redeem us. And today, we can call him friend. In Jesus' name, amen.